Hello, everyone. This is Steve Skojak, your friendly neighborhood podcaster and proprietor of One Peter Five, and I'm here with my traditional pre-podcast blag. Just want to remind you, we are in permanent fundraising season. We are a 501c3 organization. That means we are tax-exempt, which means contributions to us are tax-deductible to U.S. citizens. So, if you would be so kind and you find our work valuable, you enjoy the things that we are producing for you, help us to continue to reach our hundreds of thousands of readers each month, by sticking a couple of coins in the bucket. Yeah, the, the coins metaphor. Yeah, we're not going to do the tin cup rattle. Let's just say we could use your support. Um, you can hit our donate link at the top of the navigation bar. You can also hit the uh, little thingy at the bottom of every post that says how close we are to our goals. We've raised about $1,300 this month. It's great, but it's not even close to what we need to cover our expenses. So if you could help us, we would appreciate it, and we will continue to build and provide the best Catholic content on the web. And just a reminder, every month we have masses offered for the previous month's benefactors at the Priory of the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Charlestown, West Virginia, by the Canons Regular of the New Jerusalem. This is a mass, according to the 1962 Missal, by this awesome, impressive, incredible new religious community uh, which has established itself out there uh, in West Virginia and is doing phenomenal and amazing things. So your intentions, your petitions, and your names will be remembered in that Mass uh, on April 2nd if you dart, donate in March. So thank you for your support, and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the 1 Peter 5 podcast, episode 14. Today, I spend the full hour with Ray McConnell, a Catholic husband and father of seven from Saginaw, Michigan, who has an incredible story to share. You don't want to miss it. Coming up next. Rebuilding Catholic Culture, Restoring Catholic Tradition. My guest today is Ray McConnell. He is a 50-year-old cradle Catholic from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Ray is a married father of seven children ages 9 through 24. Ray attended Southern Methodist University, where he met his beautiful wife, who is from New Orleans. Together, they reside in Saginaw, Michigan, where Ray works as an insurance agent. Ray also recently received some difficult news. He was diagnosed last October with stage 4 metastatic malignant melanoma, which has now spread to his lungs. Ray and I connected on Facebook a while back before his diagnosis because he has been a reader of 1 Peter 5 since pretty much the beginning. Today, I invited him on the podcast because I wanted to talk to him about his journey forward after receiving such a challenging diagnosis. So thank you, Ray, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. So walk me through this. What led you to go in and get checked last fall? Well, I was, uh, I was on a, a trip up, up north uh, in, in Michigan. And the up, we actually, you know, we, we have seven children. We took the young, we've been meaning to take the younger, the youngest four on a trip we, to the UP. We you know, haven't been up there in a while. So we, the Upper Peninsula. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, so we did a, we figured we'd do a day trip. So we started out real, real early in the morning. And, uh, you know, looking back on it after everything's happened, it was just, uh, 
you know, I, you know, one of those idyllic days and how all this set up was, was quite, quite striking to me. We started out, uh, we drove up to the, from Saginaw to the cross in the woods at Indian river. And, uh, it's, you know, this large crucifix, this shrine of the cross in the woods that's been there since the fifties. My as a matter of fact, my maternal grandfather was the first contributor to that project. Oh, wow. And so it's always had a special place uh, in our family sure. and in our hearts. And it's, you know, so we, we went up there, we stopped there and, uh, you know, and had a nice time. And of course, I always, there's a, a, a St. Peregrine shrine for cancer victims. It's mm. quite prominent there as well. So I always take note of that and say a prayer, you know. And then I, we, we went up to St. Ignace, had lunch, and then we drove up into the UP, Upper Peninsula. Stopped and bought some fish to cook for dinner the next day. Then we got to the falls, the Quamanon Falls. Went to the lower falls, went to the upper falls. And it was just an idyllic day. And everything was, you know, so great, you know, taking pictures and enjoying each other's company and having a great day. And as we, as I, as dusk settled over us and we were leaving the, uh, the upper falls, our last stop, I was walking out of the gift store and I start, I got this, I started to have this pain in my groin. Mm. And it was, it uh, started out, you know, noticeable, and then it it you know we drove home, and I drove most of the way home, and it was just kept, stayed with me. And then during the week, it got worse and it started to swell up. Went to my doctor, and he he uh, you know, and I thought it was probably a hernia, you know, right, that it was right. you know in that spot. And we uh, he he concurred, and he referred me to a surgeon. And once they realized what was going on, they got me right in, and and uh, they it was semi emergency hernia surgery going in, and. Uh, mm. You know, one of my best friends is a priest. You know, I have several priest friends around here, that, and uh, he he got wind of what was going on through Facebook, and he uh, made a special trip over the hospital to to give me, to give me extreme unction, and I was just wow, I can't believe you did that. I mean, it's just hernia surgery, and I was and right. again looking looking back, right? It's so that was so special. And he literally provided he gave, he performed the sacrament as I was being wheeled basically as they were wheeling me out for surgery and i you know looking back that was just you know there's so many providential things yeah and uh the uh anyway so i had the surgery and i came out of it and my wife's sitting there in the hospital room at 11 o'clock at night and i said everything okay and she says well it wasn't exactly a hernia mm. it was swollen lymph nodes <laughs> and oh, i'm like geez. and i'm like oh and i don't think she realized at the time what she was saying to me and then she's like well it's late and I gotta get home and take care of the kids, so I'll sit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she walks out the door <laughs> like a like a mother of seven children. Yeah, right. She's very and matter of fact. I, I got stuff to get done, and I literally <laughs> didn't sleep all night after she said that. You know, I'm like, oh, my, and I was planning my, you know, because I mean, you hear you hear that, and you're like, and I've got like right. my grandfather died of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and you, I mean, at an advanced age, but still, that's kind of what I was thinking. You yeah, know? and then the, the next day, the next day, I quizzed the doctor the next morning and. He said it didn't look it didn't look like lymphoma to me, but obviously as a precaution we referred it for pathology, and uh, okay. And then a week later we still hadn't heard anything from pathology about it, and uh, then the next day they said, well, it was referred to Mayo Clinic, and uh, oh, okay. Mm. So you know everything along the line has already been bizarre. Every, you know every time a doctor says, oh, I've never seen this before, this is weird. So you're starting to get edgy. Yeah. And my dad's a retired radiologist, and. Uh, I had, I had just, he had just been at basically a death storm or the stroke a few weeks before. And I was, you know, so I was in, you know, little did I know that I'd be in, I mean, not that boat, but in a similar boat just a few weeks later, you know, trying after I'd 
assisted and helped him, and he made a miraculous recovery after uh, surgery. Yeah, but, I seem to remember you saying something about that. I mean, we were just literally. I mean, I mean, it was just something. I mean, it's, it's just been quite the roller coaster for a while. But uh, he, anyway. So the uh, ref, they referred this to Mayo, and then of course I I call my dad on everything, and my brother's also a radiologist. He's a resident at SUNY uh, Syracuse, so okay. but he's he's involved and. In, uh, and my dad got, you know, he kept getting quieter and quieter with every phone call. <laughs> and it was like, uh, he knew what was going on. Well, he just, he finally said, you know, I don't, I'm going to tell you, whenever we referred something to Mayo, it wasn't good. Right. And I'm like, and I'm like, dad, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, ex- I mean, I'm, I'm pretty aware that that could be the case. I'm just, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You just have to, <laughs> right. you just have to pray and hope and see what happens. I mean, so anyway, bottom line is I, um. I had a October 27th, several weeks after this all started, I get a call from the doctor. It was very brief and to, to the point. Yeah, it came back from Mayo. It's malignant melanoma, metastatic malignant melanoma. We're getting you right to Ann Arbor. Mm. That was it. And it was like, wow. So that, you know, and then I'm looking back. and I What was I your was, reaction to that? You know, Steve, I just, there's been so many things last few years, I mean, in my you know, family and in, in my, I've had some tragedies with, with friends and, and, and I can't help but think that that was preparing me for all this. A lot of traumatic type things, not with my immediate family, but with people in my circle, relative. The, the kind mean, of stuff that gets you thinking about, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I know what and you I've mean. Been, and I've always been kind of a, I've always been, I've, I've always been pretty well read on the faith and I, you know, studying. And again, it's easy to study and provide the right responses to these things when you're not involved direct, you know, when right. it's not you. Okay. Right. But I, I've always been kind of a go-to guy. I've been blessed to be a go-to guy for people over the years with issues and talking about these things. And it helps me to talk about it. And it, and it obviously helped me with this because, you know, all those time, all those books I've read on the saints and the, the, and all in suffering and, that st- came to the fore, and I started pulling those books off the shelf and looking at them and saying, "What's you know? Let's just kind of review this, <laughs> you know." And <laughs> right. and uh, and that really helped me because I've always I've been a big believer in divine providence, and uh, you know, so I I just I didn't. It was never the oh woe is me or this is awful why me why I never did that throughout the process, and that's not me. That's God helping me. I mean, yeah. I'm just yeah. God preparing me. And uh, I just said, well, you know, what, what, what's the next step? You know, what, we'll just go with the next step, day at a time, get go through this and see and and, try, and do the best we can. And, so, uh, so this is so. I mean, melanoma. I I would assume everybody's going to think, okay, so there's something, right? I mean, there's a there's a spot. There's a mole there was a mole on my chest. Okay. before it started, and it just didn't get caught, or it didn't get caught. It was. Um, it was something I asked, you know, that's another tough issue. It was something I asked uh, about, I asked my doctor about it, you know, over a year before, and it, he thought it was, it was nothing to worry about, so we didn't go and, you know, go and do anything with it. Right. And, um, you know, that that's, but again, I never, I, you know, you're always tempted to play the what, play the what if game, but I don't play that, because I, if it was meant to be caught, it would have been caught. Sure. Then. And, uh. So, you know, it's just this thing sat on my chest and it, you know, got it invaded down and it finally dove into the lymph nodes. And uh, once it's in the lymph lymph nodes, then it's, you know, it had obviously been exposed to my bloodstream. So you got to, and it's, 
if you catch this early, it's 95% or better chance of cure. If you catch it early. Mm-hmm. But, but once what's goes, early? What's early? Well, when it's on the, you know, when it's just starting out before it, it, it invades into the, into deeply into the into the skin and, and gets exposed to the bloodstream and the and the lymphatic system. So you didn't find out early, basically. No, not at all. Okay. I found out very late. And uh, so, what does that yeah. mean for you in terms of prognosis? The prognosis is, and I, and that thing is, is I had the surgery. I had surgery in December, which was, um, you know, very. Uh, they, they're basic. It was stage three at the time, and they said, "Well, our." our as much progress, we've made some progress over the last few years, but the bottom line is the best way to fight this is to attack it surgically mm-hmm. and hope that we get it all and it hasn't, you know, even microscopically spread elsewhere in the body. So they went after, they, they, they had three eight inch incisions on, on my leg and on my chest, and uh, and then they dug out, it was two centimeters around that mole. They'd already taken the mole off, you know, when I first went down to Ann Arbor to biopsy it, they took the mole off, but they, they wanted free margins without any cancer even traces of cancer so they went around it two centimeters around sure, it sure. and down to cut that out so it was you know i had two surgical drains and it was a pretty tough december you know a month you yeah, know, I, was giving myself, I was giving myself shots of blood thinners every day for a month and Man. and then i you know came out of that went to the oncologist and they said well you know we're gonna just uh surveillance is gonna be our treatment we're not we're not recommending anything right now uh, there's no clin- uh, clinical trials available for stage three at this time for you, so we're just going to surveil it, and you know we're going to do a CAT scan on the chest, abdomen, and pelvis, and then we're going to do a brain MRI. And assuming that's negative, then there's a 40 to 60 percent chance. I think they said that it wouldn't come back. I said okay, and then my wife and I were kind of excited, you know, about that, and we were right. so we went out and celebrated our 25th anniversary at the at uh, a, a nearby restaurant in, in Ann Arbor. And then we came home and we were good. And then the next Monday I had, I had a, uh, I had those tests, the, the MRI and the CAT scan. And then on Tuesday, the next day, Ann Arbor calls and says, well, we want you to know that we're probably going to be looking at a lung biopsy based on what we, what was seen mm-hmm. by Saginaw radiology on that CT scan. But we're going to wait until Ann Arbor sees the actual tests and reviews them before we make that a definitive call. And I wasn't shot, surprised by that, Steve, because when they had done what they call a PET scan on me, mm-hmm. when you know, in lead, lead up to the surgery, I had sent a copy of the disc to my brother at Syracuse, and he looked at it, and he, he noticed some very, very small lesions on my lungs, right? like two or three, and the biggest of which was four millimeters. He said those are could well be just granulomas. You know, a lot of people have those. It's just benign, but it's something that you definitely need to follow up on and watch. But it wasn't a hot spot. It wasn't melanoma at the time. Okay. So I wasn't worried about the lungs. I was like, well, that's just they're just being cautious. And anyway, the, then a week later, they call back again and say, well, yeah, we're definitely going to be do, wanting to do a biopsy. So just you know, we're going to contact radiology and schedule that and get and let you know when that's going on. And I said, by the way, would you mind faxing me over the results of the test just so I can see them and maybe you know go over them with my dad and my brother who are radiologists? And she said, sure. So just after work on that Monday, uh, you know, the, the fax machine goes off just as I'm about ready to leave, and I grab it, grab the eight pages of fax, and I stick them in my duffel bag and headed out the door, came home, said goodbye to my wife as she and my daughter were going out shopping for prom dresses, and then I had a quick <laughs> quick bite to eat, settled into my easy chair in the living room, and pulled out that, 
you know, my voluminous medical file that had the, the uh, facts in it, and I looked at the first page of the facts said uh, multiple uh, lung lesions that have increased markedly in size since mm. the la- last PET scan appears definitely to be, you know, uh, you know, metastatic cancer of the previous cancer. So that's how you found out. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, jaw drop, you know, I'm like, mm. wow, Mondays are not good with this thing. <laughs> the last, the, when I found out I had cancer was Monday morning, the first thing, and I was like, or, you know, like it's like wow. mo- Mondays aren't bad enough. No, Mon- I think, I, you know, when, when I say I've got a really serious case of the Monday, there's a different <laughs> reason. But uh, anyway, so I'm reading this, and I you know jaw, it was like the, it was like I'd been diagnosed again, you know, I was like, wow, this is just, I mean, it's like, call my dad and call my brother. My brother gasped when I told him the size of the largest lesion was That's 17 millimeters size, when yeah. it was four mil- so it had quadrupled in size in two wow. months and you know so i i called the doctor the next day and i'm like what's what gives i mean this is stage four you know what, why do you guys I, I you know he says well it's not technically stage four until we confirm it with a biopsy so that's why they didn't you know they got to confirm it so mm-hmm. i'm like okay whatever i mean i'm you know at this time at this point i'm just kind of what you know I'm, I'm expecting anything so i just they stuck a needle in my lung you know like that Friday and confirmed that it was, that it was, uh, the melanoma in my lungs. And, uh, and, uh, and then they, you know, I planned for stage four is a whole new ball game right out right away. And then there, he said to me, you know, I, they put me on a clinical trial and I've had, you know, infusions for three hours, a few weeks ago, and I'm going to go in Tuesday for my second of four infusions of these two drugs to see if, if that can arrest, at least arrest it or possibly knock it back. But, you know, I asked him point blank, I said, what, what if I didn't do any treatment? Well, how long would I have? And he said six to eight months. Mm. And, uh, you know, which is shocking because really I'm not, I feel fine right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, this, they're not, the lungs are, the things in the lungs are not big enough to, to cause me any symptoms. So right. I'm, other than the fatigue and some real minor side effects from the first infusion, I'm good. You know, that's what's kind of surreal about the whole thing. You're not, you know, you, you know, you're not. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's bad intellectually, but it's not it's not affecting you in that way. Right, exactly. So, so what is the prognosis with these drugs? Well, I've watched some videos and I've been trying to basically average average survival without, you know, before they came up with the, started coming up with these drugs in 2011 was like 12 months with stage 4. Now it's it's 20 months or more, you know. You know, so it's but none of these out of all these treatments they have, there's one treatment that's that's not the one I'm doing now, but it's this. It would be the it would be the next one I go on if this doesn't work, mm-hmm. which is a very toxic. Yeah. Very, you know, they got to they got to monitor you in the hospital while they give you. They basically give you as much of this as you can take without killing you, or you know, giving you serious health residual health problems for a week. Then you take a week off and take another week. In that one, there's a like a 15% response and 5% long-term cure, like almost like it goes away of that drug. But these drugs, they're really, they're, it's not going to cure it. It's just knocking it back, really. I mean, in giving you more time, which I guess the philosophy is that longer you stick around, the you know, they are coming up with you new know, stuff all the new time. stuff. So, you know, you, you stick around long enough, maybe, you know, that's what, you know kind of what, the way I'm looking at it. So there's no way to guess. The only thing is that you have a better expectation than not that, you know, you your time is limited. Exactly. And then you can't maybe, you, you can't help it. I something mean, that just, comes of it. Exactly. I mean, I, my it's like whenever somebody says you're being negative, I say no, I'm being realistic. 
Yeah. But well, I'm you... also optimistic. You know, I'm, I'm open to anything. I mean, I, you know, if, if God wants to cure me, he can cure me. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of people. You really, you're, you're getting, I'm getting so many responses from people, and it really is interesting because so many people are, there's, there's certain people that are, you know, they're trying to come up with diets and yeah. you know, I, I just, I can't do that. I can't roll that with that. Well, I mean, I you talked to me about this the last time we spoke and you yeah. said, you know, there's all these people giving you tips on, you know, improving your quality of life. And I mean, I've even done it. I, I started giving you the lowdown on sugar and how I've heard it feeds tumors and suppresses the immune system and all this stuff. But you said something to me during our last conversation that really struck me which was that, you know, you appreciated everyone's concern for your quality of life, but you think it's more important to focus on your quality of death. Yeah. And I mean, can you tell me about that? I mean, well, I mean, I'm, I obviously I want, I, I think you're, you're trying, I'm trying to strike a balance mm -hmm. between living my life and living, you know, with quality of life versus preparing myself for death because I'm really being, I've been given I mean that's the thing when you when you look when you read the saints, several saints have said that cancer is a blessing, right? And of course, just like everything else, the saints are exactly the opposite of the world. <laughs> sure. And you know that sounds crazy when you if you from a worldly standpoint to hear someone say that cancer is a blessing, and I'm like, no, uh, it is a blessing because you're give, being given a real, you know, wake up call to your mortality. Yeah. Obviously, we all need because no matter how many times we say it, you know, well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll get around to doing better, you know, in a few weeks, or I'll get around to it. I've got plenty of time. You know, that's what you think. You know, I'll quit. I'll quit my uh, vices and my sinfulness. You know, sometime. But yeah, yeah, I have time. You know, yeah. And now I'm like, well, re realistically, I don't have a lot of time. And well, how am I going to spend that time? And uh, Part of it is I'm I was you know I want to have the best Lent of my life which I am having by far it's not even close but as far as devotion to prayer and spiritual mm -hmm. reading and mm -hmm. I'm doing the Marian consecration finally <laughs> yeah mean, this is like, what it, this is what it takes because I've been thinking about doing it for I've been, years I've and taken years. like five shots at it and made it, like, the longest I made it was 19 days <laughs> and now you're now doing I'm the just, hardcore one right the Saint Louis de Montfort one? yeah I yeah. am. Mm -hmm. Plus, I'm augmenting it with this other book that this guy gave me about midway through, and I can't for life me remember the name of the author, but it's a priest, and it's a Father Gately. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we actually so went to college up, together. In fact, really, I don't, I don't well, know him well. I know his brother better than him, but well, yeah, it's it's. I really, I but I would never do that book by itself without De Montfort's book. I would, and doesn't I'm, he say in that book you should do De Montfort's book, but if you can't do mine, something like that? I yeah, think. or you know, <laughs> he said something like, "Well, there's just a lot of prayers and." And that's the way I used to think. Oh, there's just so many prayers. And, well, I, then, duh, the prayers are there for a reason. Right. Yeah, there's a lot. It's like saying, I'm not going to pray the rosary because it's over and over the same. Yeah. Obviously, there's a reason why those prayers are there. And instead of, again, that's a to me, that's my pride. Oh, all I'm doing is saying the same prayers over and over, you know, saying. And this time, I'm really, really focusing on those prayers. Mm -hmm. And I'm, it's working. And I'm not, you know, I'm just saying it's it's so important to me to get that done and what a blessing to be able to do it during Lent. And it's just, you, know. you want all the armament you can have you exactly. know, at the hour of death. And it's something that I think, you know, we really have lost sight of is the four last things and this idea of, 
you know, the temptations that we're going to face at the hour of death and the particular judgment. I mean, this is hardcore stuff and we need to be ready for it. And, you know, I noticed I, I had published uh, a blog post from Pat Archbold uh, a week or so ago about, you know, the grace of a long and painful death. And a lot of oh, people I, found I it that. really that controversial, though. A lot of people pushed back and said, this is horrible. Why would you want to wish suffering on people and things? But I think his point was not knowing that it's coming is so much worse than knowing and being able to suffer and suffer in expiation for your sins so that you're ready for that. Did I tell you that I shared it on my wall? Um, I think that I saw that you did. And and, it, and I shared it because I knew it would be it's very that was very edgy stuff to be sharing. But I was like, I'm going to share this because I want people to see it. And I did get a some guy commented, a friend of mine, or he said dislike. That's all. And, and yeah, and I'm but I'm glad he at least got, saw it. And uh, he you know he's thinking about it. We do ourselves a disservice <clears throat> by thinking that it's just going to be this cakewalk and that, you know, we're going to move toward this beautiful light. And I mean, I, I started reading a book and I'll, I'll have to share it with you. It's, it's public domain. So you can just download it. It's a book that was written in the 1600s and then it got republished. I can't remember by who, but it's called the four last things, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. And it, I've got that book. It's terrifying. I it's mean, when tan, you read it's it, a, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's, a, it's a tan book. I've yeah. got it on my, it's black. And it's, uh, yes. I've got it on my yes. book. But I, I mean, on... the author is a priest, you know, I think 1600s is the original publication date. And he just talks about what we're going to face at the hour of death and the pain of, of the soul being separated from the body and the temptations of the devil and all these things that nobody tells you about anymore. And you know, and that's, that's spiritual armaments to be prepared for that. Exactly. But, you know, it's like, well, since the 1960s, the enlightened ones have told us that that's all nonsense. Yeah, you know, and the, the, the enlightened ones in the church that finally came around after 2,000 years to basically reverse all of that. I mean, I love the idea of mercy because I'm a horrible person and I need it. But at some point, a line has to be drawn between mercy and justice. There's there's some stuff we're going to have to do that's not going to be so easy. You can't exaggerate either one. And, I mean, that's the thing. It's just, it you know, maybe in the past, some of the Jansenists, I mean, the Jansen, I mean, there was an exaggeration way to... The, too far to the to justice and wrath but now it's completely the the wheel has been spun all the way you know the last 50 to pl 50 plus years the wheel has been spun basically to universal salvation yeah i mean let's cut to the chase every every catholic funeral i've been to i mean we're we're sending this person to heaven today. it's a hagiography yeah and it's all about consoling us by saying they're in a better place well do you how sure are you of that well how charitable is that for who's going to pray for that soul? Yeah, exactly. Who's going to have masses offered and who's going right. to remember, you know, to uh, God forbid. Can you imagine being, even if you, you know, are, are fortunate enough to get into purgatory by the skin of your teeth and then nobody's praying for you? Right. I'm going to be seriously pissed at people. I, right. I, I've thought in my will, I'm going to leave a note saying, you got better make sure that at my, my funeral mass, you do not you know, have a eulogy where you turn me and, you know, raise me to the altar. You tell everybody to pray for me. But there's a, I'll tell you another thing though, that I've, I've learned. I, my whole attitude was just get, and that was a lot, that's a lot of people's attitude. Just get me to purgatory. It, you know, I hope I make it to purgatory. And, kind. and, and then I, St. Therese has some beautiful thoughts and, you know, in beautiful words, basically saying why in the world would you settle for going to purgatory? Right. Even if you're a sinner, even if you're a great sinner, you can go straight to heaven if you just 
do you know and she lays it right out it's all about charity it's about you know all the you know and, and i i can't do her words justice but that also gave me an immense sense of hope and grab like, as many okay, plenary if i'm gonna if i'm gonna die if i'm gonna die young i mean relatively young and my you know and my family's young and 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 I believe from the bottom of my heart that God gives does the best thing for all of us, even something like this. If 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 in fact I'm I'm going to die, you know, when my family's still pretty young and in 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 my productive years, so to speak, that's the best thing for me and the best thing for everyone around me. And that's that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Now, how can I make that the best thing by getting to heaven? Because every saint said I can do more for you in heaven than I can on earth. And, you know, when you have seven kids and you're dealing with this world and the church and its situation and the, the economy and all the struggles, I, I, I bang my head against the wall, quite literally, trying to yeah. help these kids and give yeah. them guidance. And, and, and I struggle. Well, I mean, one of the maybe, reasons... Maybe if I get to heaven, maybe if I get to heaven, I can help them more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, absolutely. And so let's, absolutely. Let's, let's, so let's just spend the rest of, you know, just focus on that. Do whatever I have to do to get to heaven. And that's what I'm telling my kids. Pray that if I, if in fact this illness takes me, it takes me soon, relatively soon, that I get to heaven because I want to help you, and I want to help souls, not just you, but other souls. Not to mention, it's why we exist, and I think that we have so much time right. on this earth that we begin, like you said earlier, to kind of procrastinate and put things off. And you know, you're like, I got to be here for this long, so I might as well have a good time while I'm here. And we we let the the the, the spiritual life sort of languish. Right. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to ask you to share your story with us today is because I've been very impressed personally by your positive attitude in the face of, I think, what most of us would find a pretty overwhelming diagnosis. Um, and, and it's coming through in our conversation here. I think, you know, you've got an attitude that's completely sincere. It's absolutely not, you know, you're not just deluding yourself into being happy about this, which is awesome, I think. But are you willing to share the conversation with God that you had about embracing suffering for specific intentions before any of this ever happened, which I, I have to well, assume that, prepared you for this. Well, and that kind of uh, that kind of you know relates to what I was just talking about. Kind of that's a good lead-in because I, when I was talking about being frustrated with the church and the world, I mean I've been, I mean trying to raise seven children in this situation, I mean. We're reading such stuff thrown at us. I mean, the worst thing my parents had to worry about was what record albums I was listening. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. it's just, and not only that, but the economy, this drastic change, and you know, the fact that it, it costs twenty five thousand dollars a year to send a kid to a four year university, mm-hmm. and I've got seven kids, and gee, yeah, you, I could tell them go ahead, get way in debt, and um, you know, that, you know, no problem. But I can't. I tell them not to do that. So they're, you know, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. Plus, they're having struggles with the, you know, their faith and the, and I and other things. And and I just got so frustrated this year with everything that's happened, you know. And, and there's just you know just so many things that have happened. I just said, God, whatever I didn't do, whatever you know, mistakes I've made that have, you know that didn't help these kids enough. If it, all I care about is that my my wife and my children get to heaven and if that takes for me to go through a long slow painful death for that to happen then so be it i'm ready and i said that i prayed that a few times and that was literally you know within a few months 
I got my answer, and I believe that was my answer. And I'm not, and I'm not, and in, in, in that's been that's that's the the cross that God's been preparing for me for all eternity. This cross, I believe that. But he you prepared this, that. and I and He gave it to me, and I think of that scene in The Passion all the time, where, which I believe was the greatest movie ever made, by the way, by yeah, far. Yeah. And and He when when that when that cross was was presented to Jesus, um, He He grabbed it and embraced it, and I just think of that all the time and i'm like well that's the example i'm going by and i'm yeah you know and i'm 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 trusting him that he's gonna and you know and that's another thing when i got when i got diagnosed with stage four i was i was staring out staring out into space a lot for the week or two after that i was i was just not that kind of rocked me because i had it in my head you know i you know studying other people that have had this that they have the surgery and then like months down like eight to twelve months down the road they have a recurrence Right, but not not a month later. Okay, yeah, so I was yeah. kind of I had it in my head that it wouldn't if it if in fact it happened it would be quite you know I'd have some time to enjoy life so to speak and you know and I still do but I'm just saying that the the time frame keeps getting pushed back pushed up on me and I was staring out into space and not handling it well really mentally I was you know I had a lot of anxiety for the first time I wasn't really showing it to people but I had it and uh, I went and I picked a book Novissima Verba it's the last conversations of St. Therese and I read it can you repeat the title because your, your voice cut out there for a it second was, it's, it's, it's the Latin is Novissima Verba the last conversations of St. Therese okay this is a Newman Press edition which is just beautiful it's got some I mean, I mean it's just I don't know if that's readily available anymore but there's other editions in, out there but it's I, I highly I think it's her best book I think it's better than Story of a Soul because it gets it's direct and to the point of her theology and you have a big devotion to her right oh yes absolutely and uh, also I, you know coincidentally my my cancer pain started on October 4th which is the feast of St. Francis of Assisi who I, whom I've also had a big devotion to so I, I see all these little coincidences you know quote unquote coincidences throughout this but the um but anyway, this I pulled this book off the shelf. I'd read it 15 years ago, and I remember reading it and thinking, "Wow, this is the book." If I, if, if anyone I love or I'm ever, you know, dealing with a terminal illness, this is the book to read because it's basically the last several months of her life when she's talking to her sister about what she's going through. Mm -hmm. And it's and it just it's so perfect. I mean, it, it's a short book. For I those who don't it. know, will you remind people of of how she died? Oh, she died of tuberculosis, which is which is apropos for me because I've got this in my lungs. Right. So, I mean, she died a very long, slow, painful death of tuberculosis mm. and suffered quite, you know, immensely. But she's but the, her words during that suffering are so beautiful that you're like, wow, I'm going to have this by my side throughout because the words are so comforting. Right. Okay. In one shot, I reread it. Plus, I gave it to my uncle also in 2001 when he was dying. He was 86 and he was dying of, of a blood disease. And I gave it to him, and then it's been on the shelf ever since. So mm -hmm. I pulled it off and I reread it. I'm like, wow. And ever since, and once I reread it, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm fine. It, this is, I'm perfectly. <laughs> this is just. I mean, it, it just was. You know, I just, I had no. I, I've not had any anxiety since. Because it just her words were so profound and comforting about, you know, and it's it's not comp comp complicated. It's just trust, surrender, you know, suffer with resignation, 
you know, confidence and abandonment. Everything is a grace. And she, uh, you know, you know, just, she even would go so far, Steve, as to say that my suffering is a joy to me. Which I, I'm not, I, I mean, I, that's St. Therese of Lejeune. I'm not, I mean, I'm just, I don't, but that is profound. But I, I get the feeling, though, when I talk to you that, that, you know, maybe, maybe yours is too. Maybe, and again, I ha- I've had some, you know, some suffering. It, it's tough, but it's nothing like I'm going to be dealing with. But I, that gives me tremendous hope and mm-hmm. confidence mm-hmm. that, and trust. And so I'm, and, and she would always say, God is, is leading me by, leading me by the hand through this. And, you know, and my friend gave me uh, the movie, Therese, when I, for my birthday last year, my best friend gave it to me. And uh, I had had it before, and I gave it away somehow. I lent it out. But I rewatched that. And, you know, the, the tough thing people, the tough problem it, with St. Therese is the, 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 the way she grew up in the era she was living in is like space aliens today. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's, it's, hard, it's almost hard to watch the, the first part because it's just so, you can't believe people were this Catholic and this, yeah. this holy. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just, you know, it's just in your own, but, and I, and that, but I still like that part, but it's just tough if you've got no experience with her to watch that part. Because you just feel like there's not enough conflict to move you through the story. I mean, where's and then? But then you life? get to the, the I, I always just say, well, the starting the illness part, once the illness starts, that's gold. That, that part of the movie is gold. And then her final words, because she'd had no sign of God's presence, you know, and, you know, but at the very end when she, you know, looks up and says, oh, he's so, be-, you know, all the nuns around her bed and she, you know, she was, you know, dying and, and then all of a sudden she rose up in her bed and said that, you know, I can't remember the exact words, but obviously confirming that God had taken, was greeting her at the end, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, uh, that's anyway. kind of exciting though. I mean, like, well, you know, exactly. It's eternity. It's eternity in heaven. And, you know, St. Paul, I has not, you know, seen ears, not heard the great things that are in store for those who love. I mean, the, it's 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 like you know I, I always love the people that talk about you know their buddy that died he's up, I hope he's up there playing golf with Herb you know like what yeah no that's <laughs> is that not your, is that is that your your view of heaven that it's just I oh mean oh my gosh yeah I, I mean that's that's is that the limit of your imagination that we're going to be playing golf or uh, you know I mean I I just come on and and that's for eternity this is like this is in this in God said every this life is given you to prepare yourself for eternity and to get to heaven. So take advantage of, of what, of your opportunities, you know, to, to, to get there, you know, from this life. That's what St. Therese said. This life wasn't given to you so you can slide into purgatory. Right. It's given, right. you know, and why not go, let's go for the, let's, you know, especially when you have this warning and this, this, uh, you know, you know, Hey, your time is short. Okay. My time is short. Probably, you know, I'm going to spend th- that time, really well and and i'm going to spend a lot of it praying and reading spiritual things and and just trying to really develop my relationship with christ through the blessed mother and the saints i mean ask any secular life coach and they're going to tell you you know if you want to accomplish a goal you have to aim high so this idea i think of sliding into purgatory is exactly why that's dangerous i mean why why would you want to settle for that if you're not shooting to get to heaven what are you going to do? How, how, how close are you going to get? Exactly. And, you know, I, I just, 
yeah, go, shoot, shoot, aim high. That's great. That's perfect. You know, it's you know, exactly I had a, right. I had a weird thought when I was preparing for this interview because I was kind of clearing off my desk and you know writing down questions and things like that. And there is a photo on my desk that somebody pulled off the refrigerator or whatever of one of our babies. It's an ultrasound photo. And for whatever reason, uh-huh. it got stuck on my desk. I think my wife was like, what do you want to do with this? Because I'm trying to clean up. Um, but I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about how, you know, a lot of the time, uh, when you have a big family and you're already struggling and you find out that your wife's pregnant again, it comes more as a blow than as a joy initially. I mean, it's like, wow, how are we going to do this? You know, and obviously every child is always a gift and every child is a blessing, but I just, it's interesting. The parallel struck me of, of how we can, it's all a matter of perspective, how we see it. Some people see having a baby as a punishment. Wow. Some people see being diagnosed with cancer as a punishment and it makes them upset and it makes them angry. And they're like, I wasn't asking for this. I'm not right. Why would you do this to me? But the way you're describing it, it's almost that same joy of finding out you're expecting again. I mean, there is an element of there's a tremendous element of joy in it, Steve. And and it's it's not uh, limited to it's it, there's so many um, aspects to it. And one of which is when I, you know, when I went public with it on Facebook and I, I mean, and not only that, but just family and friends, just the, the, I've just been overwhelmed with beautiful, you know, messages, Facebook messages, phone messages, uh, te- I mean, text messages, uh, phone calls, cards, uh, just the most beautiful things people are t- saying to me and, um, you know, the prayers. I'm, I mean, how can you not look at that as a positive? Yeah. I mean, it's it's over. It's humbling. It's very humbling. You know, you're always saying, "I just, man, I just don't deserve this." I, you know, sinner that I am. I just, uh, but I, I. There's a lot of people involved. There are a lot of people involved in this, and there are people. A lot of people I don't even know. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. You know, I had someone come up to me yesterday after, after Stations of the Cross that my daughter participated in, in uh, the fifth grade, and and she she was. She was pretty emotional, and I, so great to see you. And I didn't, even, you know, my wife knew her. I don't know the moms that well because, you know, she's more involved in the school. So we have seven kids trying to keep track of all the. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just said, oh, so, thank you so much. She gave me a hug, and she said, and that's my mother over there. She she taught your daughter last year for a while. She's, and uh, you just have no idea how many people are praying for you. And I'm just, like, you know, yeah. wow, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. I'm just, uh, uh, you know. You know, it was just so those things are happening just about every day. Something like that. Well, so you know, I was going to ask you how the people around you are dealing with it, but I mean, this is this so this is great. But I mean, how about your wife and kids? That's got to be hard on them. Well, I'm trying to be extra attentive, especially the you know the older one. You know, there, there's such an age range, and and there's a lot going on in their heads. I'm not going to. I mean, I can tell there's a lot going on in their heads right. that they're not expressing. And uh, my wife has been incredibly strong. She's been a real rock for me, always has been. Uh, totally don't deserve such a, a beautiful woman, and I'm a tremendous blessing to have her, and, and she, beautiful inside and out. And um, my children, you know, we've had our struggles, you know, but, you know, they're they're working through it. We're all working through it, and I'm just, I'm just saying the same things to them as I'm saying to you as far as, you know, it's vital that your faith – I don't care about anything. I mean, everything is nothing compared to your faith. Your faith is the faith is everything. And I pray that you, you know, you know, if you're not going to, ch- you know, if you're not going to church, you're not taking it seriously that you do. And because I just, to me, that's everything. And that's all I care about. 
with you guys. I just want you to be, I want us all to be together in heaven, not just us, but all our loved ones, our friends. And, yeah. and I think, you know, the, you know, this, this is the key to everything. I, and I, and I just say that to them. I don't beat them over the head with it, Steve. I'm not, you know, I know you, you, no, no, you I, don't want to, yeah. you don't want to do, you know, you, I've seen situations where people are just too, I don't know. They, 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 they have, they're, they're very, you know, they try, they've had a religious experience or they've come back to the faith and they start getting too for, you know, pushy or forceful with people around. I, I'm not that way at all. I'm more, I love this. It's, it's, it, I know it's the truth and I'm, I just want I want you to feel the same way or believe the same way. And I'm praying that you do, yeah. you know, I share them a lot of, a lot of the memes that I see on Facebook and Twitter and a lot of the, you know things that I if I think it's going to help them, I send a mass, you know, send it to all of them, you right. know, that, you know, just, just to keep them, you know, just to keep it in front of them, you know, not, you know, but just that's, to me, it's all, it's all involved. It's all wrapped up together in, in God's plan, you know. Ray, what would you say to, you know, the people who are angry or bitter because of their encounter with suffering, either with, you know, their, their own lives or with their family members or, you know, particularly the fact that good people suffer and die too young. And, and for many people, they see that as an objection in their mind to the idea of a loving God. And, and what would you say to those people? Because I think that they need to hear something different. Yeah, I, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of things you could say. I mean, I, I always, uh, I say things like, well, you know, my dad was the youngest of 12 and he's got, he had two siblings that lived one day. They were baptized. Mm. They went straight to heaven. Do you think they'd trade places with any of us right now? Right. right, right. I mean, there's so many things and, and okay, out of, out of all, you know, what are the odds that you were ever created in the first place? You know, that God created you and he created you free gift and all your loved ones he created. Who do you think loves you more than him? Mm. And if he ha- if he sends you this suffering or sends your loved ones suffering, I mean I've been through some really horrific things the last few years. My best friend, the one who gave me the Saint Therese movie, and he's, he was the best man at my wedding. His youngest son was my godson. He's the same age as my nine year old uh, Luke, my youngest son, my youngest child, and he drowned in a swimming pool, mm. and that was brutal. That was probably four years ago. Oh my gosh! And Working through that with him, I mean, I get a call on a Sunday morning at eight in the morning and, and it was like, you know, he was, he had just put his fist into the wall at the hospital and separated his shoulder because oh he gosh. was, it was at a hockey, it was at a hockey party and he had a life, life vest on and he went he, you know, he was talking, he had several kids with him and, and what, where's Johnny? And then they, I mean, you can just imagine yeah. he, took the, he took the vest off inside and went in the pool. I mean, <sighs> and I'm just saying that was just one of about four or five, oh. four or five similar traumas with people we love that we've been through. And, and I'm just saying that, you know, that young man is in heaven. He's an angel. He's my, he's one of my angels. And my, my friend is right with me on that. And we talked that we talked each other through that for days and months and, you know, and he is fine now and his wife's fine. I mean, again, you're never going to be over quote unquote over something like that. But he's he's as good as you can be, and he's great. Right. And I'm just saying that's a, you know, again, why did you know why did Jesus Christ die on the cross, the most horrible death of all? Yeah. You know, the suffering, the mystery of redemptive suffering starts right there. 
And, 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 it, I, and, and, yeah. and, and I'm not going to try to explain everything because it's a mystery. In fact, suffering only makes sense if God is in the picture. If you right. take God out of the picture, oh, suffering is completely meaningless. Oh, I can't even fathom it without him. I would, I, my God. And that's that's when you do the Brittany Maynard. I, and I, yeah. God help her. I, 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 I pray for her, but it's like, I mean, I can't even. That's 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 what that's where you go when you when God's not and I. I, it's when, when the God's not in the picture. You're right. I mean, it's like total despair. Yeah. I've read a lot of Christopher Hitchens. I actually met him one time through, mm. for, through my cousin in D.C. I met him, talked to him, wrote him a letter after I read God. I read God is great. God, God is not great, I should say. Re- I wrote him a long letter and because he said on C-SPAN, I, I, I published my phone number and my address because I believe if I'm inflicting myself on people th- this way that I have to receive from, from people what they want to tell me. So I sent him a letter. I never heard back from him, but I know he read it. Yeah. And I, you know, and I found it very interesting that his last article that he ever wrote was about G.K. Chesterton. Again, not that I was always hoping for a, an outward conversion from him, and I still believe he might have. Even as he was, you know, mo- I, I I believe most of these atheists aren't atheists. They're just really pissed off at God. Yeah, well, I think I think you scratch any atheist and you find someone with some trauma or tragedy or suffering. It was his mother, his mother's death when he was young, and it was very horrible. And and I, I don't know. That's my read. I'm not. I don't like to play armchair psychologist right away. But I'm just saying there were a lot. I've read. I read him. I studied him. I loved reading him, and I, he challenged me. You know, because I liked like what's your best argument? Like Chesterton and George uh, George Bernard Shaw. Right. They argued. All the you time, know, intensely, yeah. And they'd go out, and they were their, they were best friends. We've lost that. That's another thing we've lost. If you're not, if you can't shout somebody down and, you know, <laughs> drive them into the dust in, a, in an argument, then uh, what's the point? You know, what I mean, that's the way it's gone in this, you know, the uh, the cable news way. You know, the you know, and it's just ridiculous. But these guys, they knew they were they knew how to have an intense discussion of uh, religion and politics without you know resorting to, you know. And they were friends, bottom line, they were friends. By the way, I want to make a point of clarification because I know our readers and some of them are, are very uh, literal, some of our listeners and readers. And when you said that that little boy is your angel, I know you didn't mean that he's actually an angel. No, he's not literally an angel. Yes, no, because don't. he's innocent and he and he more likely than not went straight to heaven. And exactly. All but people was, get crazy about this stuff no, because the there are people of, who really yes, believe that people the turn age into of reason, angels. But, yeah. you know, before the age of reason, I say you can't be sure of many things about obviously about most people in anybody's salvation other than an innocent i mean i'm, I'm just heading that one off at the past so that a we baptized get the comments on a baptized <laughs> innocent steve right you know that's what i you know. i knew exactly what you meant right i and i but yes i'm glad i'm glad you clarified i that. anticipate uh you know moderating the comment boxes so all exactly. right so, so something i wanted to actually ask you about um that kind of struck me funny so you mentioned i should have this. said he's my saint in heaven and he's yeah. helping me right no. and he's helping me right now and i i pray to him and i pray to my dad's brother and sister who died at one day i mean i can include them because seriously why how could you not right i mean, I mean I, that's i i had i saw so in in college i had a a class a number of classes with dr regis martin he was one of my favorite professors at steubenville and uh you know, he had this thing that he would joke about. He said, why is it so hard to be a saint? You know, why can't I just take a weekend seminar and die on Monday, be canonized on Tuesday? <laughs> yeah, yes. And I think, be... though, that that's, I mean, that's what you have. I mean, it's tragic strike, as it is to lose a baby. Why can't God strike me with lightning as I walk out of the confessional <laughs> exactly, after, after exactly. confessing the same sins for the umpteenth millionth time? You know, when I'm, you know, somebody greets me and I say, how are you doing, Ray? And I said, this is the best I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but something Sorry that you no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, something you mentioned was the relevance of feast days throughout your diagnoses. I mean, there's been you know, feast days during the diagnosis. There's been feast days on the surgery, feast days when you found certain things out. It's interesting because you and I have been kind of chasing each other around trying to nail down when we could do this podcast for like a month. And I didn't even give it any thought until yep. I was doing the show prep that it's the Feast of St. Joseph. Absolutely. I, I, I have used the tan planner, daily planner, for many years, okay? And I've gotten in the habit of when something really pivotal happens in my life to, you know, because I always have that opened on my desk. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a lot of times it's something that happened in the past that I didn't realize was important until later. Like, obviously, the pain that hit me at Tequamanon Falls that day. And it's, I'm not saying, it's not every time. It's not like, I'm just saying that often. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. And these these coincidences, quote-unquote coincidences, if you have your your spiritual radar on and you're aware that these things happen. And I, I think a lot of us are aware of it. I, I hear it from a lot of people. You, you pick up on these things and it's God. Father Rut, George Rutler wrote a book about it and it's God showing his presence in the world in yeah. his perfect, subtle way. And it's beautiful. And I, I mean, how can, and that's what I'm saying that he's running the show. I mean, he's I see my the significance of it. St. Joseph, a father, <laughs> Uh, a man who suffered quietly, you know, through his marriage and you know, for his child and for his wife, right? And, and who passed away at a young age, by all yep. accounts. Oh, wow, brilliant! Yeah, um, I, didn't think I, of that. I kind of, I see some parallels here, you know, and I hope. Uh, and he's I'm, one of the ones that I, every time Saint Joseph rolls the day rolls around, I always think I haven't been devoted to him enough. You know, I, yeah. he's one of those ones where you know it's you know, and, and another one is my guardian angel. I always. I, I, I'm not devoted enough to my guard. You know, I always, I'm always looking for areas where I've yeah. not done. And you know, who's the guy that's been with me the whole, right. the whole, whole run? And and I, I haven't prayed to him enough or, yeah. or thanked him enough. Yeah, so I'm it's, trying to do that. that. Trying to do a better um, job of that. And I'll have to send you some links on that. But Father Chad Ripperger has some great talks about your guardian angels and how to develop a relationship with them and all that. Great. Stuff. And, yeah, it's like there's so you, there's such such a wealth of of of, of uh, people of saints to, to go to. Yeah, that you're like, geez, am I am I leaving somebody out? And isn't it funny how we all have saints that seem to work for us and then not yeah. for others? Like my wife, she won't ask Saint Anthony for anything because he never helps her find anything. Whereas for me, it's like miraculous every time. I mean, wow. You know, I'll, I'll my mom say- was big on Saint Anthony, and my mom is is key to my life. I mean, she's she survived breast cancer in '98. I mean, a breast cancer that was very dire at, mm. at first, and she went through the. Tr- and again, she's been an example to me how she went through that. Never, never had a, I mean, just, she's quiet. She's quiet. She prays in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day, goes to Mass every day. And so my dad goes to Mass, but my, but my mother especially, she's been there, and I know she's had an immense impact on me as far as helping me through my the rough patches and, you know, all my family. And, I mean, so that's why I say that's another immense blessing that God has given me as a very, very profoundly Catholic mother that, it doesn't. She doesn't say much, she, but her actions and her prayer life is so, so obvious, right. you know, so apparent, and you know she's just, you know, one of those quiet souls that that does so much for so many people. Well, I would like to ask you one last question, and that is, um, you know, you, 
the the saints always said memento mori you know remember your death and you're now going through a process that you you hopefully will survive but if you don't right. that's also a blessing too but you're learning right. things now that you know death focuses the mind so what have you learned during this process that you would really like to urge those who are not going through it to pay more attention to right now in their lives um, going forward. I mean, we, we hear this stuff all the time, but I don't think we can ever be reminded enough of those lessons that we unfortunately only learn going through that crucible. Wow, that's so hard. I mean, I'm, I'm just, uh, I just, I'm just, I'm just going to say the beauty of prayer. And I'm just, I, I have prayed sporadically. I mean, I've been committed to the rosary for periods of time in my life, and it, and it works so well, I quit doing it. I, <laughs> I've uh, done that, <laughs> and I'm I'm just saying, I am pray- now. I'm I'm praying 15 decades a day, mm. and I and my consecration prayers, and uh, and once you start doing at least from what I'm experiencing during this Lent, I don't watch TV. You know, I've quit watching TV. I I've quit that a long time ago. I sit in my family living room and I listen to, you know, classical music or spiritual music. And, 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 you know, during the day, during the lulls, pray a decade, grab something, you know, read something spiritually edifying for the free, you know, in your free time. And you find that the more you do that, the more you want to do it. Mm. And the Latin Mass, which I've discovered over the last year. So that's another big thing for me. I, we didn't even touch on that. And that's been a huge factor. Yeah. I've been going to the, we don't, the Latin Mass is repressed in my diocese. So I have to go outside my diocese to go to it. And I go to it just about every Sunday. So a lot of times I'll go to the Novus Ordo here in the morning and go to Latin Mass in Flint, you know, just 40, 45 minutes away. Um, go go to that in the afternoon. I tell and, you what, too, if the, if you haven't done it, you know, if you've got a hand missile, read the Requiem Mass prayers. Oh, They're great. amazing. They are amazing. I was struck. Um, I, I can't remember. The first one I saw was, I think, my, my great-uncle, my grandfather's oldest brother, who had been, you know, a devotee of the Latin Mass, you know, forever. I mean, he served in World War II. He was a paratrooper in the Battle of the Bulge. I mean, he was he did it all. And he was a really, really holy guy. And he kind of disappeared for a long time. And when they found him, they, they did his funeral I, Mass, and they did a Requiem Mass. And, I've been to one Requiem for a priest that, you know, for years ago that, that they did in Detroit, and I loved it. I mean, I, I mean, it was tr- profoundly moving. I want. I've got to tell you one more coincidence. Yeah, do it. Uh, October, I believe it was no it was September of 2013. I went to my first Catholic conference. I've been, you know, all these years I want to go. You know, it was it was it was the Catholic Identity Conference, and it wasn't in Steubenville, but it was across uh, the river in. Uh, yeah, West yeah, Virginia. no, I know a few people who went to that one. Weirton, West Virginia. Okay, mm-hmm. so I went to that, and. Uh, and I was so excited because I was going to finally be able to meet Michael Matt and John Venari, Christopher Ferrara, John Ra, all these guys that I've read for 20 years that I just, my heroes, mm-hmm. you know, that I'd love, that have done so much for me. And I got to meet them all. And the, so the Friday night, there was a, a, a low mass and Father Gregory Pendergraft from the priest of St. Peter said the low mass. And I was, again, I hadn't been to a Latin mass in a while. And, and I was almost, I've always been almost reluctant to go to them, even though I knew so much about it. I just, I didn't grow up with it. And I knew that if I started to like it, I'd really want to go to it. And then I'd really have a really difficult time dealing with my liberal progressivist diocese. It would just be even tougher to deal with it. Well, I went to that one and, again, struggling with my missile, trying to figure out where we are. 
went to the Saturday one. It was also it was in the morning, low mass. Father Pendergraft, a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable, and then Sunday was a high mass. I'd never been to a beautifully sung high mass in my life, and they had the choir from Steubenville, and I was enraptured, just absolutely enraptured by that mass. September twenty second, twenty thirteen, and I that. I, I, I was my I was uh, going between uh, just overwhelming joy and really ticked off that this was this my patrimony was stolen from me. Yeah. And I after that I wasn't the same. It changed me. I mean, and I and then the next you know I started going to Latin masses all over Michigan. I start went to Kalamazoo, my hometown. I went to Detroit. I went to probably thirty Latin masses all over the state last year. I know people are cynical but and here's skeptical the, here's, about it, but it can change the world. Good liturgy can change the world. Le, what is it? Lex Arende? Lex, uh, Lex, uh, Lex Arende, Lex Credendi. As we okay. pray, uh, the law of prayer is the law of belief. I think that's, that's yeah. profoundly correct. And, and here's the coincidence, Steve. When I got diagnosed with cancer, I knew that the next Sunday or the next Saturday, Father Pendergraft was <laughs> going to be in Flint to say Mass. Mm. So I emailed him, or I, found, I contacted him, and I said, "Father Pender," and I kind of told him my story and how much his mass meant to me. And he said, "I'm I'm going to be coming back through Saginaw on my way to Flint that Friday. Why don't we have lunch?" And I never, I didn't know Father Pendergraft, but I just he had he's, he had such a profound impact on me. I just sure. had to share that with him. Sure. And he came. We had just a great lunch and talked for two hours. And this was the day, the week of my cancer diagnosis. And he, I asked him, I said, have you ever been to Michigan before? He goes, no, it's the first time I've ever been. <laughs> I'm like, and then he said, a beautiful mass on Saturday in Flint. I mean, you talk about a priest being an altar Christus. There's no one that's becomes, that transforms into an altar Christus more than Father Gregory Pendergraft. I, I mean, he's just, it's, it's astounding to me. That's and awesome. And I, and he told me his story, which was nothing like I thought it would be. And, and, uh, but I'm like, what are the odds that God put sends you know God sent Father Pendergraft to me the week of my cancer diagnosis? You are I mean, a blessed man. I am in I unconventional mean, I, ways. I how do you how do you how do you complain? You know, I mean, how, what am I going to do? Complain? <laughs> well, I mean, but the thing is, many people would. But I mean, the look, you're joyful. You're you make me feel happy when I'm talking to you about this stuff. I get excited. I want to do. Well, more I'm just glad stuff. that God, God's reminding me of all these coincidences so I can share them because that's what I was. My biggest worry, Steve, going into this this uh, conversation was, geez, I hope I bring up all the stuff I want to bring up, and I feel like I have. You know, and that in that one, that last one was important that I shared that because that was a, that was a mind blower. You know, yeah, yeah. Last doc, last doc, it was uh, last October. It was I think it was Halloween, as a matter of fact. <laughs> That's what you know. That was the day I had lunch with Father Pendergraft. Wow. Yeah, and then he he said the All Saints Day Mass in Flint, and uh, that was his first ever visit to Michigan. You know, and was, that's crazy. And I mean, we all have these things in our lives, and I think we need to to look for them. Get the spiritual radar out. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I'm gonna you know I'll, I'm gonna ask our our listeners and our readers to please you know pray for you and for your family and for God's will with your Thank situation you. whatever it is exactly um, and we ask you know for your prayers for us because I know that the merits of your suffering will you know go a long way um, and you know we'll check back in with you as as things progress but I mean I just I feel really really I feel blessed that we were I wanted it I want to help souls I mean I do I mean I, and I, we need help. I, 
Right. We all do. We all do. We do. And we're all and... in this. We're all in this together. And uh, I love Saint Therese saying that she looks forward to meeting the person in heaven that she had no idea was praying for her all through her life. <laughs> that she, you know, that caused her to have so many graces. You know, that probably someone she didn't even know. And that's the way I feel about it. We're all part of the body, the mystical body of Christ. And uh, well, thank you so much for sharing, you know, your story with us. And and really, I mean, I know it's embarrassing, but for your example, because your example really is inspiring. And I know that that's through God's grace, and I know that you You're won't exactly take right. the credit of it. But but it is without, without him, we can do nothing. They did. I like somebody said that it's not. He didn't say without me, you can't do much. He said without me, you can do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, on that note, I think we'll uh, we'll end the interview here. But thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Right. Appreciate it very much, my friend. Take God care, bless. Bye. Take care. You have been listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. This has been a production of 1 Peter 5 Incorporated. Copyright 2015. All rights reserved. Please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. That's www.1peter5, all spelled out, all one word, dot com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1peter5. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash 1 Peter 5. If you feel we've provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page and make a contribution. It not only helps pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on our tables, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojak. Thanks for listening.